0: Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: So here across the campuses, you can grab a seat as you're saying hello to people around you. Today's a special day. I was informed the exact date of the 100 days was last Monday. We're officially done with the 100 days, and today I get to usher in the new normal of what 12 Stone looks like moving forward. And so today we get to hear, for the first time, uh, we got a mug with PK's face. That's sad and awesome. We get to hear from our founding pastor, Pastor Kevin, come on out, my friends. It's going to be fun. Me a good day today. Excited and happy to be home. And before you walk off stage, let me just stop. This has been a fantastic hundred days. Hundreds of people coming to faith in Christ, being baptized, lives being changed. Jason, I listened to your teaching. Church, we should just pause for a moment and give due honor God's hand upon our senior pastor. Well done, proud of you, brother. Well done. Thank you. Love you, brother. Well led. Well, it has been a good hundred days for us as well. Uh, we have enjoyed get, getting away. I have to tell you not to get away from you because we love you. and We love to be back home. But I discovered I have the spiritual gift of vacation. And so uh, not everybody has the gift, but I discovered that, that I do have it. Uh, we're excited to be back home. Can't wait to work alongside Jason in our founding pastor role Gives me an opportunity to do things like this. Teach maybe 10 times a year or so. Uh, chair the, the elder board and help in that transition. We are fired up. I finally get to do the things we talked about in 55 plus, because I no longer carry the job of senior pastor. So now we get to move over here in 2024, which by the way, if you are part of the 55 plus, all those empty nesters and older, we're going to launch stuff on January the 7th, 2024. You can just text Finish well, because that's what we're going to call it. Finish well The 37748. We'll hit that. Give you a final chance in the end. Anyhow, all this stuff that we get to go do together for the sake of the kingdom and still, you know, race cars on track, whatever. All good stuff. It's a beautiful thing. But on this trip that we had during the 100 days, about 17 of it to go to Europe, which, by the way, you helped make that possible. Thank you. We are so grateful to you. It was an absolutely glorious uh, trip It was it, just wonderful time. We, we spent maybe six, seven days in London, and then we took the train over to Paris for, for four days and then spent six days in Germany traveling around. It, it, was, it was a really good trip. And God used that trip in something in particular to mark me. It was notable if you'll listen in today, I think he'll use the thought to mark you. And if I were to put it in just a couple of words to get us started, it would be no excuses. In fact, just right here across the campuses, online, wherever you are, loud and proud. I just want you to say no excuses so you know where we're going and where the Lord's going to lead us today. So on the contrary, everybody say it loud and proud. One, two, three, no excuses. So this is what God stirred. And I don't usually do what I'm about to do. In fact, I don't know if I've ever done it in all the years of teaching. To tell you I often think about, if not write out, what I hope happens, and, and kind of who I think the Holy Spirit is targeting, and who I know is in the room, and who I know is listening. And I'm going to bother to read it today, because you'll find yourself in here. So where, where are we going in the teaching? Well, some of you listening are spiritually unresolved, and today will stir you as to why you in the non-Christian culture seem to think Christians are not very loving, and why social media and postmodern culture calls us bigots. Many of you are Christians who feel caught. You don't know how to love God and love people in a postmodern culture. There is much confusion about God's use of the word love. So today is for my college student son, who's 20, and those like him, the Gen Z. How are you supposed to follow Jesus in a, a liberal social media? kind of driven culture. Today is for my late 20s son and all like him in that stage of life who are climbing in their career and dating. How do you live for Christ in a world that promotes pagan sexual indulgence and mocks Jesus' teachings? Today is for my two married kids and all parents who are figuring out how to raise kids in a country that can't decide what is truth while redefining biology, marriage, family, and moral good. How do you teach Your kids, good versus evil in a broken world. This is for Marsha and I and all who are empty nesters or the gray hairs in that 55 plus range who are conflicted about the nation, the morals, especially when many of our fellow 55 plus are even adrift from church. How do you finish well? How do you finish well in this life? How do you live well, finish well? How do we reach our lost generation? That's a lot to promise and accomplish in the next 35 minutes, but let's give it a shot. Jason and I have been in conversation over this series that has sat inside this scripture about loving God. Let's look at the scripture. He launched November with this conversation, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And Jason has leaned into earlier in the fall, the, the mind and, and and how God helps you uh, grow in the mind. And he's addressed recently the heart and 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 how you lean into Lordship of Christ and the ladders. And, and in our conversation, I said, well, let me just lean into the start of this. Let's just, let's just highlight the word love. Say it with me. The word what, everybody? Like, like we almost read this scripture and, and we pass it. We, we like skip over love because we already get love. And, and then we go to how much you're supposed to love. But, but what, if, what if we need to sort of pause right there at that scripture and acknowledge that when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God. Love God. Like, if that's the greatest commandment, if that's the greatest teaching, in other words, this is the one thing. Listen, wherever you are spiritually or in your journey, this is the one thing you got to get right in your life. Can you imagine pausing and having the son of the living God standing there and asking him, what should be at the top of the list? He said, you got to get this thing right in your life. Love God. See, if that is the greatest commandment, then the greatest question is, do you love him? We often think that the greatest question is, does he love me? Isn't it interesting? Like we have a culture of people who say, yeah, but does God really love me? We actually turn it and we make the majority of the conversation around, does God love me? Let me just remind you what, what, he's, what he's told us. God demonstrates his own, say it with me, what? Love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus put it this way, greater love is no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. The answer, does God love you? The answer is yes. So if you're listening and you're spiritually unresolved, listen in. God loves you. You matter greatly to God. He went to extreme lengths, having created you in his image, and we having spiritually fallen, and living in spiritual death and darkness, he sent his son to prove his love. He loves you. That's really not the primary question. See, he makes it possible so that everyone can know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. He's made all that possible. The question, really, the main question is not, does God love you? The answer is yes. The question is, do you love God? Because, hang on, your your life on earth and your eternity in heaven is not sealed because God loves you. It's sealed because you love him back. Is it any wonder that after Jesus had the moment with his disciples, the Last Supper, Judas betrays him. Peter, who says, I love you, Lord. I'll never, I'll never deny you. Still, when Jesus is taken the disciples scatter, he denies Jesus three times. Then Jesus goes to the cross. Voluntarily dies to cover our sin debt. Rises from the dead. And we have this story in John with him on the beach. Having a fish fry. And has a little conversation with Peter. And what's the question he asked Peter? What's the question? Peter, do you what everybody? Do, see, God didn't invite us into a religion of rules. He invited us into a relationship of love. He loves us. Do you love me? See, because Peter had excused himself under pressure. The pressure was so great, it justified it. I get to excuse myself. Like, like surely he'll understand. And obviously it was difficult for Peter and difficult on Jesus and difficult on all of us. But, But almost as if Jesus is saying at the beach fish fry, Peter, everything broke for you. When you excused yourself. What if. The only love. Real love. A real relationship with God. Is only possible. If you have a no excuses love for God. And that leads to. The thing that God stirred in me. On our trip. He used a. A. Porsche on the Autobahn. <laughs> so we were on the 17-day trip, and it was utterly fantastic. I've, honestly, it's probably going down as our best trip ever in, in our life. I mean, it, was, it went so smooth. All the tours, all the travel, I just everything worked. The weather was fantastic. I just, thank you, Jesus. Everything was perfect except my health. So about a week before we left, I got COVID. And that was a rough week. So instead of all the prep work, this thing lands on me, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding. And so you're you're shutting everything down, and it, it was it was ill and gotten in a nose, throat, and chest and ears and and. It's, it's shutting down my right ear. It's all going in the middle ear. And I'm like, doc, I need help. And so he put me on steroids. And that wasn't helpful because now I'm getting no sleep. So I'm getting about three hours of sleep a night. And I got to take the steroids to get the inflammation. And it didn't work. And so the day before our trip, I'm like, doc, this isn't working. So he puts me on more steroids so I can have less sleep, which is great and and then you know the antibiotics and then the mucinex and the I'm just like I am just drugging out here cuz you don't want to get on a plane for 8 hours with pressure in your ear but I do anyway uh, this is not awesome and it didn't work and by time I got to London I am deaf in the right ear and the whole time in London I can't hear out of my right ear rather my my right ear is gone like I'm just like why so everything is odd and your equilibrium and everything you can't hear and okay so this is what it's like to get old this is great And and the drugs aren't helping. And so by the end of the week, we we jump on the train and we're going across to Paris. And I I say to Marsha, I think something's fixing. Like I can 20% hear you. (laughs) The problem is, I said, I think I pulled something lifting the suitcase. And uh, it wasn't mine. It was hers. Lifting the suitcase and putting it up because I am just, it is so oddly painful here. So we get to Paris, get in the hotel and, you know, changing. And, and I look in the mirror and I got these red splotches, rashes all over. And I snap a picture of it and send it to, to my doctor and he calls me immediately. He said, bro, you are in trouble. That's shingles. Oh. <laughs> I have to tell you, I had a not a good response to that moment. He says, let me get in touch with the doctor there. So we had to change some of our plans and get the doctor thing and get the medication. And and I, I, I thought shingles went on top of a roof. I don't know. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't know what it is. But, but this stuff is like, wow, it's just like your nerves go inside out and everything hurts. I mean, this is an incredibly unpleasant, painful, inconvenient thing in Paris. And he said, Uh, the the medication you'll have to take for the rest of your trip good luck and by this point my executive assistant Diane is calling me and she's like and Marsha, they're both agreeing just end the trip just we'll just change the flights y'all come home this is ridiculous if anybody had an excuse to end the trip just cut the Germany trip don't go and come home but here's the problem I had something waiting for me in Germany. (laughs) Something that I love. I'll show it to you. I had a Porsche. This is a GT4. This Cayman is probably their best track street car. I'm driving on the Autobahn for a thousand miles when I get there from Stuttgart to Moselle Valley to Nürburgring to Hanover, over to Berlin, down to Wittenberg, over to Leipzig, and back up to Berlin. I am going to drive where people finally know, get out of the left lane, because we be driving. Like like they know how to drive over there. And and then you're gonna hit the best part, which is this little circle with the three black lines that means no speed limit in the name of Jesus. So you can go as fast as you want. I I have some listen, I have something I love waiting for me. And here's what I figured out. If you love something. No excuse will do. But if you don't love something, any excuse will do. See how many of you would have just flown home because you don't give a flying rip about Porsches and you don't care about driving and the autobahn. Let me see you your hands, just all across the campus, How many of you like you would have flown home? Who cares? Good enough excuse. How many of you like? Oh no. Oh no, I'll go through the pain, the inconvenience and the sacrifice in the name of Jesus. <sighs> we had so much fun. I would you could we we averaged 120 to 140 constantly. We just we just averaged that in the left lane. We only had to slow down because people kept, you know, do, getting around their cars, but they were in my way. But that's okay. It was heavy traffic most of the time. We got up to 150 several times, past 170 with heavy traffic on the right. You know what? I'm ready to go. Jason's got the church. We're all done. Praise Jesus. If it doesn't work, we just go home. But make sure we're not wounded. Make sure you're fast enough so you die and you go CG. Anyhow, so. So we're just having an awesome time. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. I I will endure pain and inconvenience and sacrifice for what I love. Hang on. Listen, if you love something, if you're going to a concert, it's your favorite band, and you're sick on deathbed, you will get out of bed and go to that concert because you love it. If you make a commitment to people and circumstance events and you really don't want to go, any excuse will do. I have a cold. I have a sniffle. Oh, sorry, y'all. I can't go. I'm sick. You know, it's true. Maybe, I, I think I should put it on the screen. Every, everything highlighted in that yellow, just read out loud with me. When you what? Love something, no excuse will do. When you don't love something, any excuse will do. Now, let's just add one more thought. Jesus knows if you love him by what you excuse and what you do not excuse. You see, when I got done with that trip, Jesus said, well, now I know if you really love something, you'll go through and you'll endure pain, inconvenience, sacrifice. You, you don't have to tell Jesus you love him. He already knows. How do you love God? Well, you show him. And you have to ask yourself, what are you excusing? Because what you excuse reveals who and what you love. So let's chat a little bit about how do you love God. That's how I put up my notes. Let's just chat right here. How do you love God? I mean, how would God know that you love him? And if you've never put John chapter 14 alongside this question of loving God, let's, let's do that. Because I, I, hang on. We don't have to guess what it means to love God. Stay with me in this. You don't have to guess. You don't have to take L-O-V-E, love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and come up with the definition. You don't have to look it up on Google. You don't have to go to the Hebrew. You don't have to go to the Greek. You you don't have to. God God did not leave us to define it. Jesus defined it for us in John chapter 14. Look at this. He, He already told us. Jesus replied, anyone who what? Loves me will obey my teaching. Like it's all, it's, it's so simple, so clear. It, there's no confusion. Nobody has to go through great links. Oh, this is what it meant in the root. Not just all done with that. Anyone who loves me will do what, everybody? Obey my teaching. Listen, you will adjust your thinking. Adjust your what? Your thinking and adjust your living. Your what? You will adjust your thinking and your living to think and live like Jesus. That's how he knows you love him. Look at this. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. But anyone who does not love me. So in case it wasn't clear at the top, he just adds the other side. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. There's really, it's almost unsettling how clear it is. If you love him, which is the greatest command and the one thing you got to get right in your life. Well, then you will adjust your thinking and your living to think like him and live like him. No excuses. And just like Peter, when he denied, Jesus came back and said, do you love me? Because if you do, clean it up and correct it and get back on mission. Go make a difference. Huh. We visited Wittenberg, Germany. I wanted to this part of the trip. Wittenberg, Germany is the location where Martin Luther nailed the 95 thesis on the door back in the 1500s. It's called the Protestant Reformation. Listen carefully as to what happened. This is a brief summary. Here's what happened. The church had taken the Bible, this God's word, the truth, how, how, how we're supposed to think and live and, and well, we, the church added to it. And when Martin Luther, Catholic priest began to study the Bible, he realized that the church had been adding to it and there's no excuse for adding to the Bible. He nailed 95 Thesis, is what's called. It would take a long time to explain the history. Here's a picture of Marsh and I standing at that door in Wittenberg. We spend a, a day that That's not the actual real door. The real door would have been wooden. He would have nailed it there to engage conversation. This is just a, a duplicate door with the 95 Thesis on there. And what happened as a result is he declared, a, if you will, a protest. Like we protest that you can't love God and add to his word. You can't add to the words of God. This, this is the truth. You don't add to it. So so we can we protest adding to the word of God and it became the protest the protestant reformation where God was reforming his church because you can't add to it then we walked the steps of Wesley in London and over in Bristol and that was part of our plan because God created a momentous revival in the 1700s of which we as a church are in the wake of the reformation and that revival and, and in that revival God used Wesley and others like George Whitefield and the like, who, who God leveraged to, to just bring millions of people to faith in Christ. But it was really inside the church that this movement began because of an awakening that, that the church had taken the Bible, God's truth, and subtracted from it. We'd started to say that, that we can kind of redefine holy things and drop the bar we can loosen the expectation. We don't have to be holy. Wesley steps, oh, no, 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 no. Scripture says, be holy as I am holy. He not only makes you holy by forgiving you and restore you, but the Holy Spirit lives within you, and we are called to be holy as he is holy. So so there's no excuse for subtracting from God's word. This, This stuff was awakening. No excuse. If you love me. And today we live in a country that is postmodern. And postmodern is leaking into the church. And we're adding and subtracting. When Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my teaching. You don't add to, you don't subtract. If you're not familiar with postmodern, I thought, you know what, maybe we should just take a moment and go to school. Let, let me give you a moment. Jot it down. Take a picture if it helps you. If, if, this postmodernism stuff that, that's been discussed all over uh, is has a translation to a philosophy that actually, by and large, came from the from French philosophers. And I'm just gonna walk you through an understanding. Jesus declared that God is center. Say it with me. God is center. Okay, you, you God created you, you're created in his image, God has a purpose for you and a design to life. But postmodern says, well, actually, self is center. That puts mankind at the center. We have no beginning other than ourselves, we have no creator, we're on our own, therefore we are our own God. These are two completely different worldviews. Jesus tells us that there is absolute truth. What kind of truth, everybody? Absolute. Postmodern says there is no absolute truth. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I, I, I am the life. You want life to the full? I created life. I know how to get life to the full. Trust me, I deliver truth. This is the truth. I am so for you. I so love you. I so want the best for you that I am telling you what the truth is. And you've fallen from the truth. But there is absolute truth upon which life was designed. So I am the way you get life. I am the truth, the source of truth. And when I speak, it is the truth. And I'm the only way to get that. I'm the only way to God the Father. You can't get there on your own. There are absolute truths that translate into all his definitions of identity and value and marriage and family and moral good and good versus evil. And hence what sin is and what it is not and what is holy and what is unholy. And postmodern says there's no absolute truth. So therefore, it's all relative. Your truth, my truth. By the way, sidebar, most people never even get into the philosophy underneath. But a good bit of this was written by French philosophers who were having sex with underage kids and pedophiles and wanted to declare in a world that kept saying that's wrong, that you have your truth, I have my truth, and I should have the freedom to live any way I want, and you all should call it good. That was happening back in the 70s. And Jesus tells us, that truth trumps feelings. Like you, you learn that God is center and he delivers absolute truth and therefore feelings, even as a fallen human being who now has inherited sin, you're going to bend toward things that are not holy or godly. And that's normal in a fallen world, but he's going to rescue us from that. And his truth trumps feelings. But postmodern, and you can see where this goes, feelings, what do you think? Trump truth. And so now, whatever you feel becomes your truth. Do you see how these are two completely different philosophies and views of life? And that this is what it means to love Jesus, and this is what it means to live in the American, if not worldwide, culture No wonder we're in conflict because we have different gods. Stay with me. Listen, if being a bigot means that you believe what you believe deeply and somebody who doesn't believe what you believe is therefore a bigot, then we are all bigots. Postmodernists are bigots. Christians are bigots and every other religion because we have two completely different gods and philosophies and views of life. And we are in grave danger of redefining Jesus and adding and subtracting to his truth and excusing it in the name of love. So if you love God, a real relationship is a no-excuses love. You do not excuse postmodernism in your life and thinking. And this is complicated. You don't add, you don't subtract. I should pause for the Christian. So where are you excusing rather than honoring? Just Let me just, Jesus gives us a biblical worldview. What are you rewriting and excusing? Jesus gives moral teachings. Are you excusing sin? Jesus teaches on marriage and family. What are you redefining, and excusing? Jesus teaches on, on, on sexual identity and purity. What are you excusing? Jesus teaches on money. What are you neglecting or excusing? Jesus teaches on, on, on worship and the work of the church. What are you neglecting and excusing? See, a real relationship with God is a no-excuse love for the one who created us and is for us. And here's what we all know. You go do this. You, you go try to live like Jesus and love him in a world that does not love him in a postmodern world, and that world will cancel you. Ostracize you. Mock you. We should not underestimate the power of pure pressure. Peter declared, I would never deny you. And under the pressure of culture, he did. He was 20-something. I'm telling you, if you're 20s or under in this American culture, this is a tough season to love Jesus well. But we need to be honest about the cost of loving See, love always has a price. Love endures pain and inconvenience and sacrifice. And we should be honest to God about what it costs to love Jesus and what it costs to not love Jesus. And by the way, it isn't just 20-year-olds who are caught in peer pressure. It's 30-somethings, 40s, 50s, 60s. I'm watching my generation cave to stuff, Differently than what they once taught their kids, because they got great new options and freedoms in a postmodern culture. And Jesus asks, Do you love me? Are we having fun? Feels like it. You won't send me on another trip to Europe. <laughs> if you love God, how do you love others? Because scripture doesn't stop right there the next thing it says is love others. So you love yourself. And so we get conflicted as soon as we get here because we love other people and we should love other people. We got our kids and our friends and our family and the people that we love. And so there's conflict in this. You don't really know how to love other people in this because now you're living out loving Jesus and you have a completely different list of values than the world. And so you live in the world that's postmodern, but you're trying to live for Christ and you love Jesus. But then how do you love people who don't love Jesus? Because that's conflicting. I'm not sure we can solve all that in a few minutes, but, but I want to give you three statements and then I want to unpack them. So let me give you three statements. Maybe you snap a picture of this and maybe you go think about it because we got to all figure out how we're going to work this out. But this is the conversation of the culture. Jesus, his church welcomes all sinners to come. Amen. I'll say it again. Jesus, his church welcomes all sinners to come. Amen. Next, expect no one to obey Jesus if they don't love him. This is silly. Third, expect everyone who loves Jesus to obey him. Let's talk. I think you already get it. I don't have to talk long, but I'm so gifted I will. Jesus, his church welcomes all sinners. People say, well, does the church, is your church welcoming of X sin? Well, of course. Would you think we all were before we came to Jesus? Sinners who still struggle with sin and still battle it. Listen, you don't clean up your life to come to Jesus. You come to Jesus to clean up your life. Everybody's welcome. And so if it wasn't clear, I wrote a list. Who's welcome? Liars, cheaters, thieves, adulterers, sexually immoral, postmodernists, slanderers, gossips, self-righteous, arrogant, porn addicted, uh, alcoholics, spendaholics, greedy, LGBTQ+, people living together who are not married, married people who divorce for reasons other than adultery, racist toward black, toward white, toward Asian, toward Jews, toward Arabs, whatever, people who pervert justice, people who sow discord, people who lust, people with anger issues, selfish people, all sinners are welcome to the church. Amen? Amen. Amen. I mean, this is his church. He welcomes all sinners. Now, now, let's be clear. God so loves us that he sent Jesus to forgive us. So I, I didn't listen. I wasn't born holy. I was made holy through Jesus by being born again. So I, I did not like I, I'm not arrogant and proud. Oh, I'm so much better than you. I don't I have no right to judge or condemn anyone else. But Jesus does. Nothing I'm saying here matters at all if it's not his teaching. Just discard everything. If it's me, who cares? I'm, I have, I'm nothing. I am nothing. I have nothing. I've achieved nothing. I'm not holy. He made me holy. And then I strive to be holy. Battle sin, have temptation. Don't we all? So we're not condemning and arrogant toward a world who struggles with sin. Are you kidding me? We all do. The difference is we don't celebrate sin. We battle sin. And the Holy Spirit is in us. And so we fight it. Because everybody can know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Second, expect no one to obey Jesus if they don't love him. When you live among people who are postmodernists and they live completely different than you expect them to, if they don't love Jesus, listen. This idea that somehow I'm supposed to or we're supposed to impose on a world of people who don't even believe in Jesus or love Jesus to be like Jesus is absurd. It's not going to happen. I, listen, you don't you don't even lead by acknowledging. You don't encounter somebody and say, "Now I've been watching your life. Great to meet you, but there's a lot of sin. Let me talk about it." I mean, that's you don't you don't lead relationship by addressing their sin, you lead it by affirming their value, like Jesus valued people. The first conversation wasn't about their sin. I was meeting this past week uh, with a group, and we were just talking through how complicated it is right now in this culture to honestly love Jesus and love people. Because to love people, the world says there is no sin, and you know that's not true. And we don't want to lead with sin, and how do we do this? It was interesting. One of the gals sitting there introduced me to a name I had never heard. Rosaria Butterfield, I'd never heard of her. She wrote a book. She told me her story, and, and I, I pulled it together, went online, and here it is. She is most widely known today for her autobiography. Here's the title of it, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, an English professor's journey into the Christian faith, in which she details her transformation from a postmodernist into a Bible-believing Christian. For nearly a decade, she lived as an openly lesbian activist, While researching the religious right and their politics of hatred, as she called it, against the queer community, she wrote an article criticizing evangelicals. And Ken Smith, a pastor, wrote to her regarding the article and invited her to dinner with his family. Instead of pointing out her lifestyle, they invited her into their friendship. They did not celebrate her life nor condemn her life, but showed her their life. Her subsequent friendship with the Smiths led her to reevaluate her presuppositions. Two years later, she became a follower of Jesus. She now speaks around the country, giving her experience and lives with her husband, Kent, a pastor, and their children in the South. That's, that's love. Go doing likewise. Third, expect everyone who loves Jesus to obey God, and you do this first. There's no self-righteousness in the church. So before you tell somebody else about their sin, make sure you're honest, God, about yours. But then we cannot live with the risk of postmodern coming in and redefining absolute truth that God is the center and truth trumps feelings. And listen, we most tend to do this when it's someone we love, when it's our children or our siblings or a family member, or a friend. And all of a sudden, we so love them that we start thinking maybe Jesus will rewrite the Bible for them. It's so pressure-filled that sometimes we say and do things without even thinking. Marsh and I were uh, at the Eiffel Tower. We had pre-bought weeks ahead, tickets to go up because you have to. And then we were standing there ready to get, here's a picture of us on at, at the bottom of the Eiffel Tower. I was like, this is going to be awesome. And, and then we're at, at, right at the elevator. This going to take us here and here. And I don't even know how this whole thing works. And, we're, and, and then uh, uh, a, a group tour was behind us and a guy with a really loud voice. And, and, and he was the tour guide. And he said, now listen, everyone, you're about to go up super high. First, the elevator, takes you on an angle, then you get another one, it zips you up to the top. If you have a fear of heights, you shouldn't be on this, so I hope you don't. This is gonna be awesome. And I froze. And Marcia watched it wash over me. I realized, I sat at home, I never thought about it. I'm terrified of heights, I don't even, I you, acrophobia, what, yeah, I got it all. I'm like, I don't go do this stuff. I look, I'm like, what am I, how did I get here? What am I about? And Marsha looks at me and she starts smiling. She says, you're going to be all right. I said, I don't know. Why am I here? She said, I don't know. You said you do it at home, and I never said a word. I'm like, okay. She said, we're just planning the trip. And you're said, oh my gosh, this is like I said it, and I didn't even realize what I was saying. You we say and do stuff in the church, like, oh, maybe listen, oh, maybe we'll change Jesus will change his mind and he'll change truth to lies, and all of a sudden the kingdom will be full of lies and Jesus will be okay with it. Almost almost like we expect Jesus to change instead of people. And then we call it love. And that is a slippery slope. I'm not telling you I have the answers. I'm wrestling with this stuff. But I can tell you this. If loving people means you add and subtract to the Bible, you are not loving people more. You are loving Jesus less. There's truth and there's lies. It is a super complicated time to love God and love others. And we got to figure this out. So, if you love Jesus, you obey him, no excuses. So, what are you excusing? How you manage money, whether or not you gather and worship, whether or not you serve in the body of Christ, what's morally right and wrong. By the way, 55 plus, I'll put it on the screen. January 7th, we have our first party for 2024. We're going to have these conversations about finishing well. First thousand who sign up, we get to go do this together. So grab your phone, 55 plus. Sign up, finish well, 37748. And while you do that, while we all do that, could you bow your heads and let me pray over you. Thank you for loving us, Father. No one loves us like you love us. I pray for those who are spiritually unresolved listening in and have great just unsettling in their soul over how bigoted Christians look when in fact we're just loving you. And this is complicated because we have different gods. Of course, of course, we're different from the world. I pray for the next generation, the Gen Zs who are raised in social media. And the ostracizing that comes with truly loving you is complex. How do they love you and love others? I pray for parents who are figuring out how to parent their kids well in a culture that is postmodern. Give them great wisdom and strength of courage. God, even us who are in this later generation, may we finish well. And in all this, love you. No excuses. Help us walk well. In Jesus' name, and everyone agreed, saying, amen.